Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Where do I put my Mm -hmm. face? Mm -hmm. How about that? That's where my face goes. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And today on the show, our guest is W. Kamau Bell. We've actually had him on Nerdette before when his CNN show United Shades of America came out. Now he has a new book. It's called The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell. And he lays out all the ways in his life which he has been very, very awkward. Awkward things about his youth, which whose youth wasn't at Mm -hmm. least a little awkward. Mine certainly was. Greta, yours was. I've seen photographs. (laughs) Thank you, yes. His awkward bouts of sexism and all sorts of awkward stories from W. Kamau Bell, who is brutally honest in this book, and I like it. We're also going to learn a lot about Shark Tank and Blackish, which are two TV shows that he admires for very different reasons. And you will learn a homemade trick for defeating squirrels in your backyard. Don't say we never help you guys. It's the time of year when you're probably dealing with squirrels, I guess. guess. And we have a solution for you. (laughs) Let's get to it. Here's W. Kamau Bell. So I'm going to I'm going to look at my paper just to make sure I get the entire subtitle of the book yeah, right here. Yeah, it's funny. I never I never realized when we when I did that 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 would be like people I'm happy that people do it, but I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a little mouthful." <laughs> so the new book is The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell. Subtitle, ready? I'm going to have to take a breath. Tales of a 6'4", African-American, heterosexual, cisgender, left-leaning, asthmatic, black and proud, blurred, mama's boy, dad, and stand-up comedian. That's a lot of labels. Yeah, I, 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 I come from the Fiona Apple school of titling things. <laughs> you can't, a title can't be too long, although we did have to pull some things out of the title. Really? What almost made the cut? Lazy-eyed. Because uh, <laughs> I just feel like I want to claim that. Uh, what else was in there? Maybe dad bod at one point, but then we realized that <laughs> Just was, shortened it to yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started to defend African-American and black both being in the title. Uh, I, I think was... asthmatic and blurred is a little bit of a redundancy, too. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. We, we get it. If you're a blurred, you probably have asthma. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, so why why did you want to throw all that out there as this list? Are you kind of poking fun at the idea that we label ourselves so much? Or are you just trying to put it out there, all the things that are important to you about who you are? Uh, yeah, I think it's – I think it, we normally have to narrowly label ourselves. You know, we normally have to sort of like really like give me your three words. And for me – over my life, it's been about adding more labels. You know, I think I get black and male as soon as I come out of the womb. Like, that's what you are. And then over the, as you get older, I think you just naturally, if you're evolving and meeting new people, having new conversations, you add more labels. And then it became fun about, like, well, how many labels do I have that I feel like I can totally claim? Like, there's things that I didn't put in there that I thought, I don't think I can totally claim that or want to claim that, even though I think that that is a part of who I am. Can uh, you think of what one of those was? Feminist is not okay. in there. Now, I have been told I am a feminist, and I'm happy to be By that. a woman, so you believe By her? a woman, yeah. <laughs> but I also feel like as a man, labeling yourself a feminist is kind of like giving yourself a black belt in karate or something. Mm, like it just interesting. Doesn't, I don't think it's my job to give myself the label of feminist. It is important for me to enact feminist ideals and to work to do that. It's important for me to raise two feminists in my house as with my wife, and my wife is a feminist. So it's important for me to, to be a part of that. 
But I just felt like putting that in the book, I just felt like there's something about when men call themselves feminists. It's not true of all men, but I think that there's a space of like Elvis has a black belt in karate. Does he? (laughs) Does he? Does he? So the book is structured as, you know, awkward youth, which I think many of us can relate to, especially anyone listening to Nerdette probably had at least an awkward phase that maybe they're still in. If (laughs) not, you know, I think I might still be in mine. But then, you know, speaking of feminism, you talk about in the section called My Awkward Sexism, kind of coming to terms with some of this stuff that you used to say or have in your act or these kinds of things. Talk a little about sort of that uh, realization that some of the things you've been saying you wouldn't necessarily keep saying. It's funny you bring that up because... That wasn't really my realization. That was my friend sort of taking my head and going, realize this, like shaking me. <laughs> my friend Martha Reinberg, you know, I was a stand-up comedian. I'd been a stand-up comedian for 10 years or so. Met this woman, Martha Reinberg. We become really fast friends. We met through a class, but then we become really fast friends. She's an only child. She's a white woman from Maine with two adopted black children. When we met, I was a black dude from Chicago who moved to the Bay Area. We both were sort of in the Bay Area doing our thing. And we were just really good friends. And what happens in those situations I found around that time, I would be funny with these friends I met outside of stand-up comedy. And then eventually they'd be like, I want to come see you do a show. And they would come see me do a show. And after the show, I'd be like, how was it? And they'd be like, hey, that's good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and to be clear, at the time I was getting laughs. There was a point in my earlier in my career where I wasn't getting laughs where your friends had to go, hey, it was good. But at the time I was getting laughs, but I was like, what's wrong? And then... Specifically, I sent Martha a clip of me on Comedy Central, the first time I was ever on TV, and I was like sending it to my new friend to impress her, and I didn't hear back from her about it. And then when I was at her house, I was like, why didn't you, did you see the clip? It was good, right? It was good. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and she went through the thing and pointed out the sexism, and I sort of at the time tried to claim, well, stand-up comedy is a different space. You don't understand. You're from Maine. Uh <laughs> In the big city here, you know, we sort of use words we shouldn't use and we say things we shouldn't say because that's sort of edgy and that makes it funnier. And she was like, well, if you're going to have this goal of ending racism, which is the time I was doing the show about ending racism, you can't make sexism worse. You know, it's one of those things that's like a grenade. Just sort of, somebody tosses you a grenade like, hey, what's this? Boom. And it sort of like, you know, blew up in my head. And over the course of like that talk and several talks, we just kept going back to this. And to the point where I was like, who am I doing this for i want to be a stand-up comedian or i want to be funny because i like being funny but ultimately it was to make the people in my life laugh like my mom my best friend jason now my friend martha if i'm not funny to them then i'm not doing the thing i want to do that's not the way every comic does it you know some comics be like my mom can't see me do comedy i'm not that way it's just not how i'm built so for me it's like if i'm doing stand-up and I hear my mom's laughter over everybody else's. I'm like, oh, this is really funny. <laughs> like, That's good. Yeah, I yeah. love that you have this focus group of people yeah. who not only do you know that they love you, but they have standards for you. Yeah. That's interesting. That's an interesting thing. Yeah, you're right. Not all comics would be willing to do no, that. No, and I'm not even encouraging all comics to do that. We, I, I'm the last person to tell people what they should and shouldn't say on stage. I support comics' ability to say those things. And I also have laughed at comedy that I wouldn't vote for. You know, like, I mean, I'm so like, that's part of what comedy is on some level. That's so naughty. Oh, my God. That's, you know, that's, I get that. And I'm not, you're not going to see me attack a comedian for what they say. And sometimes people sort of invite me to do that. I'm just like, it's just not my, this person has to suffer the consequences of what they said. If they can, then they will keep living their lives. I mean, a great example is Cat Williams has never apologized for anything <laughs> because he's just like, I don't have to apologize because I'm only employed by me. And I just feel like, well, then good for you, man. You know, live your life. But for me, it's like, 
I know what I want my work to do. And I'm not always successful about it. It's not like it's I'm a, I don't have a perfect batting average. But I know what I generally – the space I want it to be in. And I also know – try to know whose toes not to step on. So awkward thoughts the book is full of. But you are more than willing to take that awkwardness and put it into interactions with other people. So it's in your comedy. It's in your show. It's in a lot of the work that you do. Why is the awkwardness, you think, such a fertile ground for comedy? Comedy is about conflict points. You know, that's I remember Jerry Seinfeld even said, if you're, if you're mad, there's a joke there. And nobody thinks of Jerry Seinfeld's act as coming from anger. But that's it's all about, like, anger or frustration or confusion. When the world isn't living up to your expectations, like, that's what comedy comes from. And awkwardness is that is a great feeling of, like, this is not what I was expecting and I don't really want to be here. Like, that's a great place to write comedy from, you know. So for me, I've learned in my life, not even on stage, but off stage, that like when that awkward feeling comes up to just sort of sit in it and lean into it and sort of go, let's see what comes out of this. And that, I think that's why I end up being able to do like United Shades of America because I have these conversations with people and sometimes they get super emotional and super tense in ways that I wasn't expecting. And part of me would be like, hey, should we stop taping? Are you going to be okay? And really it's like, no, this person is, is revealing something to you. Yeah. Sit, sit in it with them and, and don't worry about what the end of this conversation is. Don't worry how this is going to affect the edit. Don't worry that it's not funny enough. Just sit in this moment, be here. It's better when it's about more than just the art itself, when it's about human interaction. So for our audience who may be listening, is there distinctive characteristics for a blurred versus a nerd? Like what makes something more blurred than nerd? Uh, One, you're black. Uh, (laughs) I think that's really like – I think it's really like – in my mind, the blurred space, it is called – it is short for black nerd. And I didn't invent that word. I didn't – somebody called me that and I was like, what are you calling me? Oh, yeah. I'll own that. There's something about black nerdism that is like – sort of more wider ranging than nerdism. You know, nerdism, I think, is somehow really related to pop culture in some way or a really specific type of pop culture like superhero movies and comic books. Whereas I think blurred is like, you know, I'm the black guy who listens to Van Halen. You know what I mean? Like it's just something about it that is like, it's about sort of like crossing boundaries that you're not supposed to cross in a different way than just being like, I like the new superhero movies. There's something about like, you know, that it feels more inclusive of the kind of blackness that I associate myself with when I grew up that I felt like I couldn't talk about. You know, like, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went with my two Jewish friends to see Tom Petty. You know, like, I was not. <laughs> You know, like, which is what I did in high school that I felt like we were talking about. But if I'd had the term blurred, I'd be like, well, I'm a blurred. So I did a blurred thing. I went to white guys to see Tom Petty. You know, like, so for <laughs> me, it's it's about the boundary crossing, the quote unquote places we're not supposed to go into or you're not expecting us to go into. Coming up, we do a deep dive on some of Kamau's most nerdy obsessions, which include the TV show Blackish and Shark Tank. Of course. That's why I said deep dive, get it? <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. 
More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. All right, so we hear that you are a fan of the show Blackish. Yes. And it's something that maybe you nerd out about that you yes. are a big fan of. And so I wanted to talk to you a little about this show. First off, why do you love it? Why do you love this show? I mean, I was slow to adopt Blackish. I really didn't like the title at first. There's something about Blackish. I felt like it was everything I'd, I'd sort of run away from. I'm black. I'm not Blackish. Don't tell me because of how I dress or who, how I talk or what music I like. I'm Blackish. And so I really was turned off the title. So it wasn't until they did an episode in the, I think it was the beginning of the second season, that referenced Denzel Washington a bunch of times that I sort of was like, all right. Okay, Blackish, you win. I'm going to sit down and watch an episode because you're talking about Denzel Washington, who, according to my podcast, is the greatest actor of all time, period. So I like saw it on a plane, I think, and I was like just blown away by the specificity of it and how they were being both specific and broad at the same time. There's really broad comedy in Blackish, like somebody falling, you know, like there's, yeah. that, there's that kind of thing. But there's also really sort of like specific addressing of the black experience and because of the way they've sort of built the show every character in the house is living a very authentic black experience that we forget all can be in the same house that we don't connect angry old black grandmother and blurred who wears capes everywhere (laughs) you know that's being in the same house but of course they're in the same house you know and so i was watching it like man if i'd had this show when i was a teenager i would have moved along quicker in my life i wouldn't have felt so sort of embarrassed about who i was and or felt so weird about the thoughts i had so i'm so happy the show exists i hope it's on long enough that my daughters can catch wind of it i mean i have a six-year-old so she's not going to be watching anytime soon but to me it just feels like she's just going to think that's normal where for me it feels totally relevatory. I think one of the things that I really love about Blackish is that it's putting really real, like you said, specific, authentic ideas into this broad category of mass media we have, the family sitcom. Yes. Right? And so just that juxtaposition of, you know, when Anthony Anderson does these sort of monologues that are like, listen, America, I have something to say. Me and everybody who makes this show has something to say about this moment in time. They're so much more reactive to pop culture and to the news than I think a lot of other shows in that genre are when they're reacting to police violence or they're reacting to the election on Blackish. It's not like anything I've ever seen on a family sitcom before. No, they. I think it's pretty amazing because Kenya Barris, who runs the show, very quickly, they sort of figured out how to get away with, and maybe it's the Shonda Rhimes effect, <laughs> let those black people do what they want to do. Uh, like the Black Lives Matter episode. Look what happened to Freddie Gray. Yeah, and what if they make it all the way to the station? Mm-hmm. You remember Sandra Bland? And let's say they do make it to trial. Mm-hmm. You see where that gets us? Don't you get it, Bo? The system is rigged against us. Maybe it is, Dre. But I don't want to feel like my kids are living in a world that is so flawed that they can't have any hope. Oh, so you want to talk about hope, Bo? Obama ran on hope. You remember that amazing feeling we had during the inauguration? I was sitting right next to you, and we were so proud. And we saw him get out of that limo and walk alongside of it and wave to that crowd. Tell me you weren't terrified when you saw that. Tell me you weren't worried that someone was going to snatch that hope away from us like they always do. That is the real world, Bo. They're allowed to do things that are not funny all the way through or that take detours that I'm just sort of sitting there with my mouth open. The the post-election episode, 
I actually happened to run into Anthony Anderson, and I like got on my knees and did like the thing, like oh, like you know, like, I'm not worthy. <laughs> yeah, thing. I am yeah. not worthy. Yeah, because I was just like, <laughs> it was amazing because it felt like, how did you guys write this? Because clearly they had to start writing it before the election a little bit, but it was just the fact they were able to turn it around and have such salient commentary, not only about the black community in the election, but America as a whole in the election. There's also part as a comedy writer, which I am. I'm watching it like. That's really cool how they did that. Like, there's also a technique side of Blackish to me that gets really geeky and nerdy. And they use mixed media. Like, sometimes they use cartoons, and sometimes they use like those like Perez Hilton things where they're drawing on things. Like, they use whatever they need to communicate the message of the show and to, and to sort of translate the comedy. And so for me, it feels like I'm blown away by it so much so that when I watch it with my wife, she gets annoyed because I'll rewind it in the middle of it like I'm, a, I'm the guy with the real like let me see that joke again like I'm mm. like that was an amazing cutaway they did like or, or just the they're using some of the greatest like Lawrence Fishburne in yeah. a sitcom yeah. are you kidding me like, <laughs> like, like it's a testament to that show that he would do it and it's a testament to him that he's putting everything into that that he put into all of his movies. Like yeah. he's not holding back and the, the character is fully developed and then uh, Jennifer Lewis is the mom is just like she is the black grandmother, but she's also weird. Like, you know, like they, that they're not just doing the angry, bitter black grandmother. We haven't seen the angry, bitter black, sexy grandmother, you know, who has hate for her daughter-in-law. Like, you, know, like, yeah. you know, there's jokes about her killing her. You know, it's very, so it's got like this sort of like family guy aspect of like this family really doesn't like each other that much. At the end of the day, they will they'll still be together. But it's like it really it allows us to be fully formed human beings in a way that TV has not does not normally do with black people, especially in the comedy space. So if you think about it in a grouping of the other shows that are, you know, the, the black family sitcoms, so you've got The Cosby Show, which we've talked about, is sort of, it's such a complicated thing to think about the legacy yeah. of that show now. Yeah. And then you've got Family Matters. Yeah. And you've got Fresh Prince yeah. sort of doing yeah. some version of this idea. But what, in what way has Blackish moved the ball forward, do you think? I mean, I think the Fresh Prince probably doesn't get the credit it deserves because I do think that, like, the Will character got to be – he was a black guy from West Philadelphia, but he was just a dude. Like, he was, you know, like, he was – there was a – and they got to do some more, like, nuanced episodes, too. Like, I think it did sort of break the mold of what was expected of black people by creating bougie black people, you know, who still were claiming their blackness. Like, you know, even the character of Carlton wasn't trying to be white. He was just trying to be rich and conservative, you know. So I think it extends that – into regular people. Like the Freshmen of Bel Air, nobody was living like the Freshmen. Like that's, we're sort of seeing a, not a fantasy, but not many Americans live that way. Blackish kind of reflects the lives of a wide swath of Americans. And they're not always writing jokes from the black perspective. There's something about blackish that, that extends it. It gets to be broad like Family Matters gets to be, but it gets to be sort of pushing the narrative of black folks the way Will Smith did, the Freshmen of Bel Air. But it also gets to be hyper specific to the black experience like in a way that we haven't seen before so for me like it's just everything is carrying the ball one step forward but blackish feels like it took two or three steps forward because to me it's just like if you could somehow negate the black stuff which i'm not trying to but the comedy stands up whereas i think some of the black shows if you negate the black stuff maybe the thing falls apart but you know like i just feel like with this they could write that show they would tweak it but it could be about a white family the comedy still stands up so they're not like 
it doesn't feel like a lot of back in the day those WB UPN sitcoms where it just feels like it's <laughs> just like it's just like, where where it's weird when a white person shows up. The white person shows up. It's like a white person's here. Whereas the blackish <laughs> Ding dong. family, yeah, 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 and he's always a goofy white guy. Whereas blackish, the white people are there because white people are there, and and even the white people have are nuanced in ways, you know. But it's just a, I, it's been a long time since I've really been a fan of a sitcom like in that way, like maybe not since the heyday of Friends. And so it feels really good to be able to be a fan of a sitcom again because I grew up watching during the golden age of sitcoms in the 80s and so to be able to like this is just a great 22 minute good time after the break we find out how well Kamau really knows Shark Tank by challenging him to an ultimate quiz plus we have homework from Hannah Rosen of NPR's Invisibilia If you're game, yes. we have a quiz for you yes. that is about one of your other favorite television shows, Uh-oh, which we go. understand to be Shark Tank. I mean, to be honest, I have deep love for Shark Tank. That If there was an, a new episode of Shark Tank versus a new episode of Blackish, probably watching Shark Tank first. Why do you love the show so much? <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple reasons why I love it. One... I'm busy. I don't have time to be following plot lines. So that's that's a part of it. Like it's just it's a perfect hour of television. It's just like you're in and you're out. We're not going to find out what happened next week. So there's that part of it too that like really sort of satisfies my ability to like at 11 o'clock at night when my kids are asleep, my wife is in bed reading a book that I'm just like, I don't have to think about anything else other than that. Like it, it is totally great for what TV can be. Like just take me away from my life for an hour. And I think it's so quintessentially American. It's people who literally are begging bajillionaires, can you help me fund my dream? <laughs> Please? I put my whole life into this one thing, and I need you to help me fund this, or else I'm going to lose my house. Or you know, <laughs> like It's just like, it's so quintessentially, it's such a great, I'm sure somewhere in Econ 101 classes, they're, they're using Shark Tank, because it's just such a great, like, this is how capitalism in America works. Because my favorite thing about Shark Tank is, like, somebody will come in and go, I have invented a cure for cancer. It cost me a, a penny. We'll sell it for a dollar. So that's a like a that's a good profit margin, and it's ready to go. And it's a one shot cure for cancer. You're like how many how many units have you sold? <laughs> well, uh, I've only sold thirty units over the last five years. Uh, it's not investable. <laughs> Why haven't you sold more units for your cure for cancer? Like in some no, I guarantee I've got all the paperwork. It's I don't know. Somebody could be like. I have uh, Kleenexes that celebrities have sneezed on. Uh, <laughs> I'm selling them for $1,000 each. I've sold a million units in the last 24 hours. Oh, this is good. This is good. Fund that. Yeah. But then they try to talk about it like, you know, celebrity Kleenexes is a growing market. <laughs> like they try to like justify, you know. And then uh, where the other one, is cancer even a bad thing? Yeah. Are we really yeah. even tripping? I mean, I, I don't know. Is so, there a need for this? Is there a need for this? So they, they justify why they're doing it. They have to sort of justify why they're doing what they're doing. And to me, it's eminently watchable. All right. So, here, so here's the game. Since you love Shark Tank so much, yes. you may know the answers to these or you may be able to guess because it's going to be multiple choice. Mm-hmm. So which of the following was a real animal-related invention on Shark Tank? A, Squirrel Boss, a bird feeder that zaps squirrels with a static shock to keep them away. Okay. B, Cat Couch, a couch specifically designed for cats to lounge in. Uh 
see zebra pizzazz, neon paint that kids can take with them to the zoo and paint onto zebras for a fun, interactive experience at their local zoo. <laughs> so squirrel boss, cat couch, or zebra pizzazz? Okay. I know it's not zebra pizzazz. Oh, that's very funny. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give a shout out to the comedy writing. Uh, I'm going to go cat couch. The answer is A. Oh, Squirrel Boss. It's funny. Oh. Squirrel Boss. I, it's funny. I was There's something about that felt true, and I was like, I, I, okay, yeah. I, cat, it's not cat couch. I'm mad at myself. So the investors on Shark Tank did pass on it because it was a little too cruel even for that's, them. That's why I thought. I was like, would they <laughs> put that on there, shocking squirrels? But our producer, Candace, wants to make sure that everyone knows that you can just do what her grandfather did and just put Vaseline on the pole of the bird feeder and then enjoy watching the squirrels slide down <laughs> but not murder them with electricity. Why are we not why don't we want squirrels to eat is the bigger question. This is also a fair question. Squirrels got to eat too. Yeah, squirrels got to eat? Like, yeah. We, this why? is speciesist? Yeah, this is bird food. It's not squirrel food. <laughs> what are you doing? Don't put it don't put it out there. Invite the birds in your house. <laughs> All right, number 2. Okay. Which of the following was a real food related invention that appeared on Shark Tank? A, veggie gumballs, gumballs made of enough carrots and spinach for kids to get their nutrients while chomping all day long. B, wake and bacon, an alarm clock that wakes you up with the alluring aroma of cooking bacon. Boom! Oh, you don't even want to hear no, three. No, I mean, you can say the next one. The next one was going to be sweet sunscreen, which was edible sunscreen. But you seem very sure. It's 100%. If it's not, you've made a mistake. Someone did bring Wake and Bacon to Shark Tank, asked for $40,000 to help fund their dream, received $0 because it was a total fire hazard. <laughs> I remember that one. I remember Wake and Bacon. It's the Michael Scott thing, right? Remember when he burns his foot with the waffle iron because he's trying oh, yeah. to make breakfast in bed? <laughs> or the George Foreman grill yeah. in bed? Yeah, come on, man. I remember the, uh, the Arrested Development, the corn The cornholer. The cornholer. So many injuries. All right, last question. Which of the following was not a company that one of the sharks invested in? A. Sweet Balls, a cake ball company. B. Toy Guru, the Netflix of toys, so your kids never get tired of old toys. Or C. The Sullivan Generator, massive generators scattered across the world that would pull in ocean water, create contained hurricanes, and use them for electricity production. I know that one too. Sullivan, they, didn't, they were like, I don't understand how that works. They didn't believe the guy. Yeah. You are correct. You are a true Shark Tank uh, I just aficionado. I feel bad about Squirrel I, What is it? Squirrel Boss? Squirrel or, Boss. I feel bad. I should have. I knew that one. That was a mistake. Because I, <laughs> I feel like I'm really letting down. It's, it's it's like I don't watch the show. That's why I feel really proud about the last two. I remember that because he had a whole thing. Where put her, and they were like, it's your crazy. But, but again, it sounds like a good <laughs> It sounds like if we could do that, it's a great idea. But they were just like, they were like, bring in somebody who's talking about bacon alarm clocks. <laughs> All right, two out of three, so that's a winning score. So that's, you have won yeah, yeah. our Shark Tank game. Thank you Good. for playing. <laughs> thank you for having me. I just feel a little bad, but thank you for having me. Is there a Shark Tank invention that you would bring to the show? Something that, you know, maybe you can't tell us because it's such a hot idea. You don't want someone to see it. <laughs> I mean, do you have no idea that I do regularly walk around going, huh, but I'm not the person who goes, now let me make a prototype in my backyard. I don't get to prototype in my backyard. Uh, I think an attachment to kids' baby strollers for tall people. You just clip it on and I would just pitch it to Mark Cuban because he works for 
Dallas, he owns the Dallas Mavericks, which means he's around a lot of tall people. So I was like, we could get Dirk Nowitzki to be like our pitch man. I would actually maybe get Dirk Nowitzki to be coming with me, that thing like where they sort of bring in a celebrity, like, oh, Dirk Nowitzki's here. He'd be like, hi, Mark. Hey, Dirk, what are you doing here? And he'd be like, isn't it annoying when you're pushing your baby stroller and because you're so tall, it hurts your back and then you get injured and can't play in the game? And he'd, and he'd be like, yeah. And the, I'm working on it. I just haven't gone to my backyard to build it yet. Because so, I pushed my baby stroller when, I had, when they were babies around a lot. And I was like, this is too short. It's too short. All right, that's a pretty good invention. Just Somebody should just, just fix a, this. Like clip-on attachment for tall people. Tall dads. Tall dads. Yeah, we call <laughs> tall dad. <laughs> w. Kamal Bell, thank you so much for joining us on Nerdette. Thank you for having me. I feel like you could use that clip-on for shopping carts, too. That would require some retrofitting, but I think you're right. So, you know, stroller makers. There's some <laughs> tall people who would apparently pay like 40 extra bucks. I've decided that's how much it costs to have a clip-on extension. 40 bucks, huh? I feel like that's kind of a steep price point. Oh, dude, have you seen how much I it costs to have true. baby crap I bought? that's true. Strollers are hundreds of dollars. I think some people pay more for strollers than I paid for my first car. All right, now it is time for homework. We're going to check in with Hannah Rosen. She's one of the hosts of NPR's Invisibilia podcast. My homework for everyone this week is to listen to the new season of one of my very favorite podcasts, which is Invisibilia. And we actually have the co-host of that show here with us to give you even more homework because more homework is always better. Hannah Rosen, thanks for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you for the recommendation. So what would your homework be for Nerdette listeners? Okay, I have two homeworks and one is a reading homework. You can choose between them because the other one is everyone makes fun of me about, but I'm going to say it anyway. So the reading homework that's been blowing my mind, which is The Addicts Next Door, the story in The New Yorker by Margaret Talbot about the town in West Virginia full of opioid addicts. And the amazing thing about the story is that it is like a David Lynch movie. You know, you think you have in your head a scene of where opioid addiction takes place, what it looks like, who the people are. And this completely scrambles that idea. It's like a zombie movie. It's like you're walking through just a regular place with shrubs and trees and Little League, and then just people just fall down or slump over. It just completely changed the picture in my head of what the addiction problem looks like. And it's so beautifully written and so rich and deep. So I love that. Um, My second one, everybody makes fun of me. So you can just, you know, forget this one if it's just too (laughs) goofy. Buy a titanium spork, put it in your bag and never use plastic cutlery again. That's my recommendation. I bought one for everyone on staff and they were like, oh, great, you're the oppressor. Now you can just like (laughs) look at me in a judgy way every time I use my plastic fork. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what this gift anti-gift is about. Buy yourself a titanium spork. I carry one everywhere and I never use plastic cutlery. So now nobody likes me. But that's my recommendation. I love the phrase (laughs) anti-gift. You used it with such ease that it makes me think that. Anti-gift is just a phrase that I don't think I've ever heard before, but I really like and that you apparently give a lot of. That's exciting. No, it's the only one. I'm not a weirdo. I just like (laughs) I have this fork and I gave it to everyone. They all gave me a look like, thanks, you know, and now they feel really guilty. Like they have to use it to eat their lunch every time I'm around. So it's kind of a gift, but kind of not really. Well, listening to Invisibilia and reading and buying utensils is a lot of homework for this week. But I believe in the nerds. I think they can do all three of these things. Absolutely. Me too. 
The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Candice Mattel. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer, and our intern is Brady Guy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or you can listen to us in the WBEZ app. It's also very helpful if you leave us some stars on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to Adanza1989 and SusieLu68 for the really excellent reviews. <laughs> I like how you read both of those. You did a nice job. Aldanza. Aldanza is pretty fun to say. But so Abundanza. is SusieLu. SusieLu. I prefer Aldanza. No offense, <laughs> SusieLu. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Nerd at Podcast wherever you are interneting. And our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. I don't know why. I have a sporks-related story, Tricia. What is your spork story? My spork story is I talk on the radio, and once I said turning now to sporks instead of turning now to sports. Were you hungry at the time? I don't know, but I think I am more of a sporks fan than I am a sports fan. Turning now to sporks. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.